We are in the course of an expository study through the book of Romans. This is our 23rd lesson. I don't know exactly what date we started on, and I know there have been Sundays we haven't taught, but uh, that tells me we've been in it at least six months because that, that's almost half a year, and there have been several Sundays we hadn't taught. So we've been at this for a while now, but here we are. Uh, we're, we're in the passage that will conclude Romans chapter 4, and this is a passage that focuses on the nature of Abraham's faith. Amen? Now, we spent all of last week on the first verse of this passage. And that first verse is very important. That would be verse 17 because it establishes the foundation for Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith was founded on the faithfulness of God to demonstrate that God was indeed faith-worthy. Paul declared two of the greatest powers in God's repertoire. He said, only God. Abraham believed in him who gave life or gives life to that which was dead. Only God can do that. Only God can quicken the dead. And only God can call things that are not as though they were. So on that basis, on those two uh, undeniable evidences of the power and glory and majesty of God. On that basis, Paul establishes the fact that God is worthy of faith. Now we, now that we've seen that basis of Abraham's faith, now that we've seen the foundation of Abraham's faith, Paul begins to describe the faith of Abraham. Now that's important because in order to be the heirs of Abraham, we have to have the faith of Abraham. Paul tells us in Hebrews 11 and 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. If we're going to please God like Abraham pleased God, then we need to know what genuine biblical faith looks like how it acts under adverse circumstances. So the text that we're going to look at today, the passages that we're going to move through today, will demonstrate to us what faith looks like in real life, in real circumstances, in real situations. Amen? And so we get this kind of detailed look at the faith of Abraham. Now, we're not going to get all the way through the passage again this Sunday, but we are going to get about three more verses into it, beginning with verse 18. It says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So beginning with verse 18, and beginning with that first phrase, who against hope believed in hope. That's the starting point now. We're, we're describing Abraham's faith, and, and it starts with hope. Now, hope is a word that Paul uses very frequently in all of his writing. It's a word that he connects both with faith and with salvation, but he uses it more in the book of Romans 
than he does anywhere else. Hope appears more in the book of Romans than it does in any other New Testament book. It is a term that we're going to see a lot as we move forward through the course of this study through the book of Romans. So I want to take a moment right here at this first mention of hope and give some definition to what Paul means, what he's talking about when he talks about hope. Now, hope, as Paul and other New Testament writers use it, is closely related to faith. It is an expectant state of mind. It looks forward to things that have not yet happened with reason to believe that they will occur. That reasonable expectation is the difference between hope the way it's portrayed in the New Testament and hope the way it's portrayed in our culture. A good example would be the biblical hope for heaven. Heaven, the scripture tells us, is the hope of the church. It is the promise. It is our promised inheritance. It is the prize that we strive for. And Peter was very plain in the book of First Peter that it is the hope of heaven that gives the church the strength to endure the present troubles and trials and hardships of this life. Heaven, however, is a place that we've never been. It is a city that we have never seen. It is a promise that the Bible tells us has never fully been described. The half has never yet been told. And from a purely human perspective, heaven seems almost too good to be true. Heaven seems almost beyond the realm of possible, but the church lives with the expectation that we will go there one of these days. On some glad day, the trump of God is going to sound. Amen. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Uh, Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with him. And this world is not my home. Amen. The reason for our expectation, the reason for our Hope is the promise of God. Jesus said in John 14 and 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. Our hope, then, is founded on the Word of God. We have reason to expect that Jesus went to prepare a place for us. And we have reason to expect uh, that if He went to prepare a place for us, then He will doubtless come again, that we, where He is, we may be with Him also. That's hope in the biblical sense. Hope is based on the reasonable expectation that what I'm hoping for is going to come to pass. Now, it's different from hope the way it's used in our culture. It means something entirely different in our culture. When we speak of hope in a secular sense, it means wishful thinking. We may hope that we get an A on that test, even though we didn't really study And we know we didn't really do that well. We may hope that our team would win every game, 
even when we know that's beyond the realm a possibility. If you're from Illinois, you may hope your team will win a World Series sometime in the next hundred years. It's just hope. It's just wishful thinking. God forgive me. We may hope. Watch, they'll turn around and win next year. We may hope that it will not rain, even though the forecast says. There's an 80% chance of rain. Your hope says, you know, maybe just possibly, just somewhere out of the realm of possibility, maybe we'll defy all logic. Maybe something will happen that was completely unexpected. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. When Paul speaks of hope, he is speaking of the expectation that God will do what God said that he would do. Biblical hope is founded on the anticipation that the promises of God will come to pass. It is a confident anticipation uh, and that confidence is not founded on a wish and it's not founded on some minor chance of a possibility. The confidence is founded on the word of God uh, and the God that stands behind that word. Amen? Amen. So Paul established that foundation in verse 17. We can believe in the hope of Abraham because we understand the one that stands behind that hope. In verse 17, we discovered that he is the God that quickens the dead. He's the God that gives life back to that which was dead. And he is the God that speaks of things that are not as though they were. And so if our hope is founded on his word, if our hope is founded in who he is, then we can have the confident expectation that he is going to do what he said he would do. So verse 18 begins with that incredible statement. Abraham, against hope, believed in hope. A.T. Robertson in Robertson's Word Pictures translates that Greek phrase to mean that when Abraham was past hope, he believed in hope. When all hope was gone, when nothing from this world's point of view justified Abraham's hope. Still, he hoped. For weeks we've been talking about the faith of Abraham. But now Paul shows us a real world example of Abraham's faith at work. When he was beyond hope, still yet he believed in hope. When everything that he saw went against it. When everything that he understood defied it. When everything in his life mocked his faith, still he believed in hope. When his body was as good as dead from a reproductive standpoint, when it was impossible, when he was beyond hope, still he believed in hope. How could he have such faith? How could he have such hope? Because his hope was founded on the God of verse 17. His hope was founded on the God that can do anything. 
In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul describes those who were without God as being without hope. In Paul's mind, those two things are connected. Abraham could hope because he was not without God. And if he's not without God, then he is not without hope. His hope is bound up in his faith in God. And because of that, his hope doesn't depend on human factors. His hope doesn't depend on the reality that is around him. His hope doesn't depend on what his eyes may see or what his ears may hear. So when he has no grounds for hope, Abraham still believes in hope because his hope was founded on the promise of God. The rest of that verse says that he might become the father of many nations. That's what he hoped for. According to that which was spoken, this is why he hoped for it, because God said, so shall thy seed be. Abraham believed in the promise that God had spoken to him. His hope was based on his confidence in the word of God. He believed that God would do what God said that he would do. That's drawing from Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, where God called Abraham to look up to the heavens to behold the multitude of stars in the sky. Look, Abraham, and see the vastness of the glory of the heavens. See the stars uh, and their multitude of number. So shall thy seed be. And Abraham's faith took God's at his word it established the fact that if God said it then it's going to come to pass perhaps whenever God said that to Abraham perhaps that was when Abraham was somewhere in his 70's perhaps at that point in his life Abraham could have had some faith in his, his own physical ability to reproduce maybe at that point it seemed like a long shot, but it seemed like it could have been a possibility that he might have had a few more years left where he might be physically productive and able to bring forth the seed that would number as many as the multitude of the stars. But it didn't happen. As years gave way to decades, as Abraham approached a hundred years old he was still fatherless the promise had still not yet been fulfilled and somewhere along the way his faith moved beyond the realm of possible into the realm of impossible somewhere along the way his hope in the promise of God had to move beyond natural means there came a point somewhere along the way where Abraham realized that he was beyond hope. He was beyond any natural expectation that what God said would happen would actually happen. That seems to be the thought that Paul is trying to convey in this verse. When Abraham was far beyond natural expectation that he would ever be a father, he still believed in hope. When he had passed that place where it is now no longer possible, it is now far beyond there. I'm past the realm of any natural expectation. When Abraham was beyond hope, he believed in hope. We're talking about the faith of Abraham. We're talking about the kind of faith you got to have to please God. 
We're talking about the kind of faith you've got to have to be justified by your faith. The kind of faith it takes to be saved whenever circumstances move beyond the realm of possibility. Abraham counted the word of God to be more meaningful to him than the impossible circumstances in his life. Think about it for a minute. When he was past hope, he still persistently believed in hope. How many times has some saint of God looked around at impossible odds and simply declared by faith, I'm going to stand on the word of God and I'm not going to back down from what God promised me. That's the kind of faith that gets the attention of heaven. That's the kind of faith that obtains the miraculous. That's the kind of faith that causes God to move heaven and earth. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had when he was beyond hope, when he was past all understanding, when he was past all natural expectations. Still, he believed in hope. It seems quite apparent from the Genesis account that God intentionally put Abraham in that kind of place. God made him a promise while he was still in that stage of life where it was remotely possible that it would come to pass. And then God watched as Abraham held on to that promise beyond the realm possibility into the domain of the impossible God gave Abraham a promise at a time whenever perhaps Abraham could believe in his heart that it, it really could happen and then he just watched and waited while Abraham's life carried him past the point of hope and Abraham never let go of that promise it seems apparent in scripture from other scriptural examples like Gideon and his dwindling army or like that little widow woman with her barrel of meal the prophet said make me a cake and God will provide for you it seems apparent that God delights in making promises that seem impossible and then watching as faith-fueled hope refuses to relinquish its grasp on a promise of God regardless of the circumstances. Uh, it seems apparent that God takes delight in putting people in places where the circumstances defy the promise, uh, but the faith says, I won't let go, and I'm not going to back up, and I'm not going to give up. God's going to do what God said that he would do. It's easiest to trust God when he operates in the realm of possibility. It's easiest to trust God whenever he works within the areas of what we can see and what we can understand and what makes sense to us and what seems reasonable to us and what we can work out in our minds. But all too often, God deliberately chooses to operate in the realm of impossibility. All too often, uh, God deliberately chooses uh, to make a promise uh, and then watch where it goes beyond the realm uh, of hope, uh, beyond the realm uh, of natural 
natural expectation uh, just to see uh, if you're going to hang on to that promise, uh, if you're not going to back up on that promise, uh, if you're going to hold God fast uh, to what he said he would do. Because when God shows up uh, in the impossible situation, uh, he's the only one that gets the glory. When God works in the realm of possible, sometimes we, we get all smug and think we had something to do with it. When God works with what we have and what we understand and what makes sense to us, sometimes we get the bright idea that maybe we had something to do with what God did. But when God makes a promise and then pushes you off the ledge and out there into the realm of impossibility, and then he still shows up and still does what he said he would do, nobody else gets his glory. Nobody else gets the praise. Nobody else gets the opportunity to say, I did that. But God gets all of the glory. I submit to you that sometimes God makes you a promise then purposefully lets the situation degenerate into the realm of impossible. Sometimes God gives you a hope that seems naturally possible to you and then purposefully waits until you get past hope just to see what you're going to do with that promise. Sometimes in those places, we're too quick to throw up our hands and indict God as if uh, the circumstance is somehow going to hinder his word, as if he can't do what he said it would do. Sometimes we're like Mary and Martha standing at the tomb of Lazarus and declaring to Jesus, uh, if you'd only shown up uh, just a few days earlier, if you'd only gotten here before it was too late, uh, but the situation has now moved beyond the realm of possible into the realm of impossible. Uh, we're past hope, Jesus. Uh, you should have gotten here while he was still sick. Uh, we believe you can raise the sick. Uh, we believe you can heal his body. Uh, you should have gotten here before we put him in the grave huh? because now that he's in the grave we're beyond your reach we're beyond the realm of possible and so they wept and they mourned that Jesus had not come earlier didn't they know that he is the God that speaks to that which was dead and causes it to live again didn't they understand that he is the God that speaks of things that are not as though they were? This is the basis of biblical hope. This is the foundation of genuine faith. What God said he would do, he's able to do, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, regardless of what's going on in your life. I need to tell somebody in this place this morning, whatever you do, don't let your hope go. Whatever you do, don't let your faith go. Whatever you do, don't back up now on the promise of God. If God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. His word is forever settled. Amen? You need to let hope rise in you. You need to let hope get a hold of your heart because that unwavering faith, even in the realm of impossible, is what eventually lays a hold of the promise of God and brings it into fruition. Don't let your circumstance rob you of your miracle. Keep believing. Keep standing in faith. Keep believing in hope. 
The next verse, verse 19 says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So being not weak in faith, he considered all of that, and he was not weak in faith. One thing you can say about the Bible, whether you're a believer or not, is that the Bible is brutally honest about the human weaknesses of the men and women whose stories are shared in its pages. And Abraham is no different. The Bible is very blunt about Abraham's struggles in regards to his faith. The book of Genesis tells the unvarnished story of an Abraham who often seems to be weak in his faith. For instance, in order to avoid a danger that he imagined, that he created in his mind in Egypt, he lied about his relationship with Sarah and almost caused great, great distress to him and her and everybody simply because he thought he needed to help God out. He maybe didn't trust God as far as he could have or should have. He didn't do that once. He did that twice. Later in his life, when it became obvious that Sarah was barren and that she would not produce a child or it seemed impossible, when they, they passed that line that they got past hope, instead of doubting the promises of God, they decided they'd help God alone. And Sarah contributed her suggestion that maybe Abraham should take her handmaiden, Hagar, and produce a child through Hagar and thereby fulfill the promise of God. And, and they thought they'd help God out. Now, we understand that that, that, that that wasn't real faith. That's not faith that God's going to do what he said he would do. That's somehow thinking I, God needs my help. And instead of helping God, they actually bird the son that would become a perpetual thorn in the side of Abraham's faithful descendants even to this very day. But Paul says that Abraham was not weak in his faith. In order to reconcile what we read in the pages of Genesis and what we read in the pages of Romans, we've got to understand that it in light of all the stories that we know about Abraham, we've got to recognize the fact that those incidents, though they seem major to us, are relatively minor when they're compared to the overall picture of Abraham's faith. God called him out of Ur, and he went. He abandoned friends and family and home and loved ones. God called him into a place that he had never been before, and Abraham had enough faith to follow God. He had enough faith to believe in the promise of God. Abraham was not weak. That's what Paul said. He's not weak in his faith. Now listen to me. He had some lapses from time to time. It should come as no surprise to you that Abraham was human. He was a man just like me and just like you. 
And sometimes he struggled, and sometimes he stumbled, and sometimes he wasn't the pinnacle of perfection. But every time he recovered. And when his life is considered from the lens of Paul in the New Testament, looking back across the whole story of Abraham's life, when his life is considered from that big picture kind of point of view, his overall record shows that he was not weak in the faith. He had his moments. He had his struggles. But he was strong in faith. We know that because when the greatest test of Abraham's life came, we, we read of his Missteps, and we read of his struggles and early in his journey when, when this God that he knew nothing of before God called him out of Ur. When we read of his missteps and the struggles early in that journey, but when we find him at that final test, whenever God calls him 12 years after Isaac was born and tells him, take that boy and go to yonder mountain and sacrifice him unto me. We read the word of God and, and the word that didn't lie to us before, that was honest about his faults and his foibles, now is honest about his faith. Uh, and he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't doesn't back up. He doesn't question God, but he grabs the boy and he gets together the goods that he needs for sacrifice. And we see Abraham at the pinnacle of his faith as he marches up that mountain with the assurance that the boy and I, we go to worship God and we will come again. We will return what we learn from the Genesis account is that no one's faith is perfect save Jesus Christ. What we learn from the Genesis account is even Abraham had his struggles, but he was not weak in faith. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, despite his spiritual imperfection, Abraham always came back to the Lord in faith. And the Lord honored his faith and continued to renew his promise to Abraham. So Paul says, Abraham was not weak in faith. That's a powerful statement. We all have our struggles. We all have those times and places where we are less than we know we ought to be and somehow in our in our in our all of our effort to do well we make a misstep and we miss the will of God or we miss the directing of God or we we just we blow it and the devil's quick to pounce on you and write you off and say man you messed up you made a mistake and you can't ever get back from here you can't ever get back from this you can't ever get back to where you were with God you need to consider the record of Abraham whenever Paul passes judgment on the life of Abraham across the whole broad picture of Abraham's life he doesn't key in on the mistakes he doesn't key in on the faults but he looks at the whole picture of Abraham's faith and he said he was not weak you can get back. There is mercy 
in the house of God. There is forgiveness in the presence of God. There is an opportunity to set things right with God. Don't ever believe the lie of hell that says you can't ever go back. Don't ever believe the lie of hell that says you've gone too far. You messed up one time too many. God's looking at the big picture and he's calling you back to your faith. Amen. Amen. The rest of that verse says, He considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. The evidence that Paul gives to support the conclusion is that the conclusion that Abraham was not weak in his faith is that his hope did not waver even in adverse circumstances. Abraham and Sarah were very old. They were physically unable to conceive. And from a reproductive standpoint, Abraham's body was as good as dead. Sarah's womb also was as good as dead. All of the evidence was against them, but Abraham didn't let those circumstances destroy his faith. As a matter of fact, even though Abraham was aware of the adverse circumstances, he still believed that God's word outweighed all of it. The situation was impossible, but that didn't weaken his faith. His hope was in the promise of God. And even with his weaknesses, even with his momentary lapses in good judgment, Abraham maintained his hope in the promise of God well beyond the realm of possibility. Verse 20 says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So Paul says Abraham did not stagger at God's promises through unbelief, but actually got stronger in his faith. So Abraham's faith never gave way to unbelief. He may have wavered, he may have had his moments, his missteps, but his faith never surrendered to unbelief. That's not to deny that sometimes he had to struggle with his faith. But listen to your pastor. A struggling faith is not unbelief. Abraham never gave over to unbelief. He never surrendered to unbelief. And Abraham never stopped believing that God would do what he said he would do. The phrase, but was strong in faith, in the original Greek, indicates that not just that Abraham's faith was strong, but through all of his struggles, his faith actually got stronger. That's the indication of the original language, that not just that he had strong faith, but his faith got stronger as he went through all the struggles that he went through. All he had, all that he could lean on, was the promise of God. There was no external evidence that God's promise could actually happen. He was in the realm of impossible. But what God promised was all he had to lean on, to, to, to buttress his faith with. When the promise of God was all that he had, the promise of God was all that he needed. And over time, God renewed that promise. And God made it fresh again and again. And the repetition of the promise seems to be the indication of this verse that the repetition of the promise strengthened Abraham's faith. 
Sometimes you need to remind yourself what God said. Sometimes you need to remind yourself how you got here. I don't have the time. I'm going to go long if I, if I digress here. But Brother Larry Booker preached a message a long, long time ago about Carlos Hathcock. How many know who Carlos Hathcock is? Carlos Hathcock was a sniper, Marine sniper in the Vietnam War. I'm going to take just a very brief moment. He was called upon to kill a Vietnamese general, a very high-ranking man. The problem was the man was in a compound that was isolated. It was in the center of a huge clearing. The clearing was a couple of miles wide around the place. It was an impossible shot to make from outside the clearing. Every day the general would come out on the porch and he would have his morning coffee and he would be exposed to fire. The problem was nobody could get close enough to take the shot. So Hathcock conceived a plan. After studying the topography and, and the layout, there was, there was a way he felt that he could belly crawl through that clearing until he got within range to make the shot. The problem is there were men with dogs, guards who walked that clearing every single day. There were treacherous barbed wire and things that had to be surpassed to get close enough to make the shot, but Hathcock this is history this isn't this isn't just a fable he got on his belly and he began to crawl and in a few hours turned into a day turned into night turned into the next day and for two days if my memory serves me correctly he crawled through that stuff and on the way he encountered those moments when those dogs came close enough that seemed as if he was going to be discovered there was a time whenever he crawled across a nest of fire ants who swarmed his body and bit him all over. And to move, to, to react, was to die. There was a time whenever he came face to face with a pit viper, a cobra, that come up and rose up in his face. And he held his composure until he finally got to a place that was just on the very edge of his ability to shoot just at the, it wasn't the place that he was trying to get to it wasn't the place that he had determined to make the shot from it was it was just at the very edge of his ability and he began to reason with himself and his mind said you've endured all this and you've come this far and you've been through this much you ought to go ahead and take the shot right now you can make the shot and he says he lay there in that tortured condition and began to try to reason with himself whether or not to change his plan and make the shot here and make the shot now instead of getting closer where he intended to be when he took the shot. He said something rose up inside of him and he began to tell himself, I was in my right mind when I started. And I'm not changing now because I'm no longer in my right mind. I've been through enough circumstances and I've been through enough situations and there's been enough trial and hardship that it's affected my thinking. And I'm going to stay with the plan. I'm going to stay with what I started with. And so he pressed on. And he made the shot. And the rest is history. He escaped unscathed and went down to history as the most successful Marine sniper ever set records that are only now being broken the man was incredible but getting back to the story there came a point when the circumstances overwhelmed him and he had to stop and remind himself I was in my right mind when I started 
the plan I had when I began was good. I made that plan before I was under all this pressure. I made that plan before I got beyond the realm of possible. I made that plan before my hope ran out, uh, and I need to keep a hold of it, and I need to, uh, somebody in this place this morning uh, needs to understand, uh, amen, the promise of God hasn't changed, uh, even though your circumstances have changed. Uh, the promise of God hasn't, hasn't somehow evaporated uh, in the middle of all the adversity that it's coming to your life. Uh, you were in your right mind when you started this uh, and you need to stick with it. Uh, amen. When your faith compelled you to take that step of faith, uh, you believed that God was able and now is not the time uh, to back up on the word of God or back up on the promise of God. When you get past hope, when all you got is God's word, believe in hope. It is enough. Amen. And so every time that promise was repeated, his faith got stronger. Some of you need to remind yourself what it was that started you on this journey. You were in your right mind when you began. It's time to keep on. Let me see if I can wrap up the last phrase of this verse. It says, giving glory to God. That indicates that through it all, Abraham never stopped giving glory to God. When the situation was impossible, he gave glory to God. When he seemed to have moved beyond the realm of hope, he gave glory to God. Even when he struggled in his faith, he gave glory to God. Now, for just a minute. I need to draw a contrast all the way back to the first chapter of Romans. Because way back in the very first chapter of Romans, if you'll remember, the downward progression of sin began in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 when it said the cause was given, that that the downward progression began. The cause was this, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Abraham stands apart from the faithless in that he gave glory to God even in his adverse circumstances. When they knew God, they refused to give him glory. But when Abraham received a promise from God that seemed more and more impossible with every passing day, Abraham never failed to give God the glory that God deserved. Unlike the degenerate sinner of the first chapter, Abraham recognized that God deserves the glory and purposed in his heart that he would glorify God no matter what his circumstances were. Somewhere along the way, he caught a glimpse of the majesty of God. Somewhere along the way, he caught a glimpse of the glory of God. And he determined that no matter what was going on in his life, no matter what the circumstances were around him, no matter how impossible it seemed, God was worthy of the glory. No matter what his circumstance was, God deserved his worship. Now listen to me a minute. I'm coming quickly to a close. But when your worship is dependent on your circumstances, it is an insult to the glory of God. When the situations in your life 
are enough to cause you to cease to glorify God. It is an affront to the very glory of God. When you let this life rob you of your worship, you pass judgment on the glory of God. And in effect, you declare that He isn't worthy because of your circumstance. Let me give you a simple gauge by which you can measure the true state of your walk with God. Do you worship Him even in the difficult places in your life? Can you worship Him when it all falls apart? Can you worship Him when you move beyond hope? Can you worship Him when it gets into the realm of the impossible? Can you worship Him when there is no evidence around you that His Word is ever going to be fulfilled? When the stuff going on in your life is enough to stifle your worship, you demonstrate that you don't really give God the reverence that He deserves. That's the mistake that they made way back in the first chapter. That's what started man's fall into sin. Didn't give God the reverence and the respect that God is worthy of. His glory demands your worship regardless of the circumstances of your life. His glory demands your praise regardless of what's going on around you if the sun doesn't come up in the morning. And the world is shrouded in unbearable darkness. Can I tell you something? He's still going to be worthy of your praise. Uh, if the economy collapses today and all of the rewards of your life's work vanish like a, a vapor in the wind and you don't know where you're going to get anything and you don't know how you're going to survive, guess what? He's still going to be worthy of your worship. If the doctor looks you in the eyes uh, on Monday afternoon and tells you that there is no hope uh, that your life is going to come to a premature end. Uh, can I submit to you that the God that you serve uh, is still worthy of your worship? He still deserves the glory. So let me tell you about the faith of Abraham. Through it all, he glorified God. Because faith Genuine biblical faith is always focused on God. And God, in spite of your circumstance, is always worthy of your worship. He deserves it in every situation. I think this would be a good time to stop. And I think this would be a good time to take a few moments and give God the glory that He deserves. I know the circumstances in your life are very real. 
I know the situations that you're going through may seem severe. I know that you may feel like you've moved beyond hope into the realm of impossible. And I know that it's easy to stand behind a pulpit and tell you that you ought to believe in hope even when you're beyond hope. But in real life, it isn't always that easy and it isn't always that simple. And sometimes our circumstances are going to overwhelm us and sometimes we just don't feel like we can go home. We don't feel like we can take another step. So let me give you a piece of very practical advice. Uh, Wherever you are and whatever is going on, give glory to God. The line of demarcation between Abraham and the faithless unbelievers of the first chapter is that Abraham gave God the glory. And as long as Abraham worshipped God, he had the wherewithal to hold on the promise of God. And as long as he worshipped God, he was able to believe in hope when he was beyond hope. Had he ever stopped giving God the glory, he very likely would have lost his grasp on the promise of God. So whatever you do, don't stop praising God. Would you stand with me? Sister Renee's coming to the music. I know I may have been slightly longer than normal. I don't think I've been that much longer. 